Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful morning. I think I'll go out. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, a man who did not tell me how hungover I looked yesterday. And for that, I apologize to the YouTube audience. Super producer Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Mike, I opened the podcast yesterday saying I feel like you're feeling a lot worse than you're putting on. And I felt that way because you looked a lot worse than you were putting on audibly. <laughs> Got it. Okay, that was uh, my apparent miscommunication then because, <laughs> man alive, I looked back at the podcast footage from yesterday on YouTube I got a text from one of my buddies that was on the bachelor party and said, you looked worse than I did the day you showed up. Are you okay? They say they they didn't go through the the heirs tour though. Like you went like through time and then went to new Orleans for a bachelor party. 
Yeah, I mean, they did do Thursday to Sunday New Orleans for a bachelor party, though, which I would argue is one of the hardest things that you can do to your body. I love New Orleans dearly. I got to spend a bunch of time down there, not just on Bourbon Street when I was in camp with the Saints for those couple of rounds. And it's a wonderful city. But man, if you are there for a bachelor party more than two nights, you are asking, asking for the destruction of your body. Actually, uh, shout out to Ryan Cavanaugh, one of our former teammates. He's the reason why I went to a bachelor party in New Orleans. Is this te- I <laughs> first time I went to a strip club? I can't, I was like, I was like, <laughs> I want to do the Oreo main thing already. I'm just trying to be anecdotal. <laughs> Your anecdotes just happen to be horny as hell. <laughs> but anyways, we went. Ironically enough, I, it was so expensive. And I was like, why is it so expensive? We went to New Orleans for the women's final four that year. And it was just like uh, a bunch of beautiful women walking around Bourbon Street. And it was uh, it was an amazing time. Uh, but damn, I sound so horny. Um, but I was, I mean, I was saying going that- Going to a strip you, club on Bourbon Street doesn't exactly make you hornier than most. Like if you're there for a bachelor okay. party, I always tell people, you can see plenty of other beautiful parts of New Orleans when you're there for a different purpose. When you're there for a simple task, you go to the street that's got Restaurant that sells hurricanes, fried chicken joint, bar and strip club. Once once in a row, every block for the entirety of Bourbon Street. Like, you just walk down there and you let things happen. Yes, Mike, but it doesn't make sense. You would imagine there would be more New Orleans cuisine, but that's like for brunch and places off of Bourbon Street. It's really just pizza by the slice and and the most fried chicken you ever run into. Why would you waste New Orleans cuisine on a bunch of drunk frat stars? You feed them fried chicken and pizza, the same thing every other drunk person wants, and you get them to keep it moving. Like, yeah, you got to go off bourbon to get the good stuff, which you should. Go go down to the Lower Garden District if you want to eat well around there. There's great spots downtown to eat too, but you don't do that on Bourbon Street, and you don't really want to waste that at a bachelor party. Most people that are going there of bachelor party age, we're a little bit on the older end now, but when you're going there in your mid to late 20s, you're there to get drunk off sugary drinks and then go inside these bars and then hammer chicken and pizza after it's a really simple process let it be beautiful and simple because one day you'll be us going there as a 33 year old and seeing all these kids from sec schools there for like a formal or spring break or something and you'll feel ancient and disgusting for being in the same bar as them Uh, just being around younger people having a good time makes me angry You just see all of like the Ole Miss polos pop up and then you see all these kids in formal dresses going into the same restaurant that we're just trying to survive in. It was a humbling experience. It's a reminder that my best days, at least in that regard, have passed me by. And you know what? I'm okay for that. I really am. Like I had a perfectly good time parachuting in there for one day, seeing my buddies and then getting the hell out of Dodge on Sunday morning. That's beautiful. Yeah, I was going to say, all the grown-ups in New Orleans uh, near Bourbon Street are at the casino down the street. Hey, man, shout-out to Harris. That's a hell of a casino. I've done some damage there before, and I will be back to do (laughs) damage there again. we got a great show for you guys today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating and a review, and check us out. Uh, In my case, looking very hungover on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab, and that still holds true today. I am not enjoying the man I see in the mirror right now. Uh, We have plenty to get to. The final four is set on the women's side of the bracket as we head into the next weekend for the final four March Madness on both sides of basketball. One of the premier matches of the tournament on either side going to be taking place in the women's final four. A couple of the best players, biggest names in the sport squaring off there. We have got Jordan Cornette 
ESPN and ACC Network men's bas- men's and women's basketball analysts, college basketball analysts, stopping by to join us. Obviously, a proud Notre Dame men's basketball alum. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about what he perceives as the ACC disrespect heading into the tournament this year, handicapping the Final Four that we've got set on the men's side, and a little look at Micah Shrewsbury, the new Notre Dame men's basketball head coach hire, and why Notre Dame fans should be very excited about what this means for the direction of the program. But... Brandon, there is no other place in the world that we can start other than right where I am out here in Scottsdale, Arizona. Very nearby me in Phoenix, Arizona, we have got the NFL annual meetings going on. The owners, GMs, coaches, all convening in one area to talk about league stuff and to meet with the media and to take the annual picture that we see with all the coaches in weird different lounging dad gear crammed into I don't know why every year they take the coaches picture they have to cram the seats so close together I understand fitting 32 head coaches Uh. in one frame for a picture is tough have we thought about maybe layering more rows in because what we end up doing is having a bunch of guys fighting for armrest space like it's an airplane in this picture and making for incredible theater True, Mike, but think about football players. Are you, or excuse me, football coaches, usually former players, the football guys, right? Are you, you have a better chance having them line up in a really long line of two than climb some bleachers for a picture? I No, I totally get that, and you're at the mercy of what you've got there. I think it's the Biltmore in Phoenix that they're at, and so you're probably not going to have bleachers around there. I just would love the idea of seeing a couple of those guys have to sorority squat in the front of the picture, like seeing who would get bullied by the old guard coaches into going up. Like You know Mike McDaniel would be sorority squatting in the front or going the full-on crouch, covering his face, doing some trendy young picture because he's one of the young, you know, I'm not like other coaches, I'm a cool coach kind of guys. Yeah, they would throw him and Sean McVay down in the front immediately while the meat men like Mike McCarthy and Andy Reid get to have their have their pick of where to stand in the middle. Big winners of that picture, Sean Payton coming back and immediately bulldogging everyone in his vicinity. Mike. That man was square. He was not seating an inch. Arms fully extended, boxing everyone in around him. Way to announce and re-announce your presence with dominance. Uh at least 22 reps on it with the 225 bench press like i didn't know i didn't know he was built like a log oh dude i i I never told you sean payton at least so this is 2014 when i was in the off-season program there big crossfit guy loves it our conditioning test was crossfit based because that's what sean came into the uh indoor facility to do for his workouts during the day okay yes very suspect but okay i'll take it i'll take it other big winner Wait a minute, wait a minute. Russell Wilson getting with a CrossFit guy seems perfect. Honestly, not a bad mix. Again, more of this Denver. You should feel really good about this. Um, The other big winner in this one, just reaffirming when we do the coaching cage match, I'm sure coming up later this summer, Dan Campbell's your number one overall pick. It ain't even close. Because I saw him in the back row standing next to Kevin O'Connell, who I got to meet out at the Super Bowl. Super nice guy and way taller than I expected. He's like Dan Orlovsky where he just unfolds out and is really tall and long. He's probably a good 6'6". And Dan Campbell, who was also an NFL tight end, was an NFL player, eye-to-eye with him and twice as wide. That man is a fucking freight train from hell. (laughs) He is built like an actual superhero or... uh... Gosh, the crimson chin. I don't know if you remember Fairly Odd Pants, oh, yeah. but like he is like, <laughs> he just has that stature about him. 
He does. And so while we'd want to sit here and just break down everything we saw from this, him and Andy Reid is the two alphas right in the middle of the NFL's coaching picture. It would be wonderful, Brandon, but it'd be disingenuous because I know you're going through it right now because of a certain no. tweet from NFL no. quarterback Lamar Jackson, who decided Mike. to make himself the story of NFL meetings. We haven't even gotten to these white men's attire and D'Amico Ryan's smiling there. Like I, I want to continue to make fun of these coaches in their Coles outfits, but you want to get to the stuff that's going to make me sad. Uh, we have to address it now, Brandon. We've got to have the conversation. This is what we're here for. We're not journalists, but we play one on a podcast. And because it happened on Twitter, it's even easier for us. And when it's the biggest story of the offseason – you kind of got to lean into this one. So Lamar Jackson decided he was going to be the story of the NFL uh, owners meetings. Lamar Jackson tweeted right before John Harbaugh was getting set to meet with the media in Arizona. A letter to my fans. I want to first thank all of you for the love and support you've consistently showed towards me. All of you are amazing and I appreciate y'all so much. I want y'all to know not... Uh, to know not to believe everything you read about me. Let me personally answer your questions. In regards to my future plans, as of March 2nd, I requested a trade from the Ravens organization for which the Ravens has not been interested in meeting my value. Any and everyone that's met me or has been around me know I love the game of football and my dream is to help a team win a Super Bowl. Y'all are great, but I had to make a business decision that was best for my family and I. No matter how far I go or where my career takes me, I'll continue to be close to my fans of Baltimore Flock Nation and the entire state of Maryland, you'll see me again. That just feels like a threat. It, at the very end, it just felt like he was going. He was just going to do numbers on Baltimore every time he steps foot on that long ass grass field. Yeah, no, you could definitely perceive it that way because when we ask the question, or people ask the question, why this tweet? Why now? It is a show of force. Lamar Jackson, very smartly, who Lamar Jackson has. I think throughout most of this process, spent his time publicly responding to reports that have come from elsewhere. And I think this time, very smartly with this timing, decided he was going to go on the offensive and decided that, hey, if we have got all of the major decision makers and media at this one spot covering this one event, I've been the story of the offseason. Why don't I make good and damn sure I'm the number one line item on every conversation between personnel around the league, between the league personnel and media members, and ensure that this is what carries the day? And Brandon, as far as we saw yesterday, that was mission accomplished by Lamar Jackson. The tact displayed here, I think, was a sign that Lamar is very serious about this and very much understands what he is embarking on now. I didn't know how I was going to come in here and play this, Mike, but I'm very, very disappointed in the Baltimore Ravens, probably more so than I've ever been. It's it's kind of a reminder that they slipped and fell into Lamar Jackson uh, at the end of the draft when he got drafted. They they picked Hayden Hurst first, who is now on his third NFL team, fourth. Um, but, yeah, anyways, I digress. I'm sad that Lamar Jackson – has asked for a trade. I am surprised that it took 24 days for him. Obviously, he was waiting for this 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 um, this owners meeting, but the fact that he requested it March 2nd and we're and he's just hearing we're just hearing about it now. I'm also just very very pissed that you're right. 
You were right the whole time. I think that pisses me off the most. Like, I can deal with having a bad quarterback. I am a Ravens fan. But the fact that you are right, that that the Ravens pissed Lamar off, and that he actually doesn't want to be in Baltimore anymore because of it, that's I can't stomach it, Mike. Well, I, I you know what? Even to shoot you some bail on this one, I've often looked at this and I said, because I know and I've been through negotiations and and all of us have been through some version of this, it's impossible not to take some parts of this personal. And I'm sure there are frayed relationships Mm -hmm. here. We see it all the time play out in sports, even for people who are dealing with agents representing them. This to me seemed a lot less like that, like an emotional response. This was the business part of it. This was, hey, I've made my intentions pretty clear at this point. And now I want to make them clear very publicly. I want to have you reacting to me in a way that all of a sudden puts you on the defensive a little bit, maybe as a response to the way negotiations have been going. Because I saw Ian Rappaport over at the NFL Network reported that as recently as last week, according to him, Lamar Jackson had apparently been negotiating with the Baltimore Ravens. It's not over. These are just the things that happen when you're in the business of these big-time NFL contracts. And John Harbaugh, who was asked, I think, like 30 questions in 27 minutes of media availability, most all of them of which were about Lamar Jackson, essentially said, this is the business of the NFL. I haven't seen these tweets, but he very much did the right thing, played the role of the good soldier in this, and said all of the ways he imagines the NFL's season with uh, the Baltimore Ravens coming up are with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. Yeah, because that's the only option. Much like the New York Jets, there is no plan B. Like, I, I feel like that's why I'm upset right now that the season is in limbo when everything around the draft picks and the moves and, you know. Well, Brandon, I would ask all this. The, opposite, like- the air's out the room. The, I, I was going to talk about this faux opt- optimism, but since the end of last season with Lamar Jackson being out, rolling into this time period, Mike, it's it's this has been – even when we sat and talked to him on our podcast, we weren't to talk about the thing, the elephant in the room, the reason why we're talking about Lamar Jackson right now for a reason. He didn't want to talk about it. And for it to unfurl to now, we're talking about the Washington Commanders and the Colts coming out of pocket to secure their next bridge quarterback even. Like, the whole thing is nasty. Well, it's a not – Brandon, I would ask you seriously, what's changed in your mind? Between today and now, that, like that Lamar Jackson wrote a letter to his fans saying that he had that he asked for a, a trade request from the Baltimore Ravens. Like you know, the fact that it's it's concrete in the ground that he wants to leave because they're not meeting his evaluation. Obviously, they can match and things like that, and this is all business and stuff like that. And, and he's saying all the things we want to hear, but. The, the threat at the end, I will see you soon. I feel like he knows that he is going to release hell on the Baltimore Ravens if they don't get a chance to sign him for the money that he's worth. Honestly, Brandon, this is proof that Lamar's letter accomplished the exact goal he wanted it to, which is to get people nervous. Because I don't really see that much difference between where we were and where we are now, other than the public optics of it. I think the way that Lamar had conducted himself throughout all of this, there was an understanding, really from both sides, by letting it get to the point where we're talking about a non-restricted franchise tag, you were open to the possibility that Lamar Jackson may not be your quarterback. 
Lamar saying it out loud is designed to do just this, to get fans nervous, to get people in the public to put pressure on the organization to get the right thing done. So this is validating exactly what Lamar Jackson, I think, wants to get out of this, which is to play the public PR game because I don't think the feelings are markedly different now than they were in the world before this letter. I think this letter is something that we've seen. If we go back and look at his team, you know, his teammate in Roquan Smith. This is exactly what Roquan Smith, the exact playbook he ran in Chicago the summer leading into his final season there where he was traded this last year. He wrote the letter to the public, to the Chicago Bears, to the city of Chicago and all the Bears fans worldwide. I've officially requested a trade. Just writing these words is deeply painful. Went on to talk about being a homegrown Bear, being in the Bears opportunity, and then saying, unfortunately, the new front office regime doesn't value me here. They've refused to negotiate in good faith. Every step of the journey has been take it or leave it. The deal has sent me that was one would be bad for myself and the entire LB market of I signed it. I've been trying to get something fair done since April, but their focus has been on trying to take advantage of me. This is almost mm -hmm. the exact same sentiment presented here by another player in Roquan Smith who not only represented himself, but was also a teammate of, teammate of Lamar Jackson. I'd be curious to see if these things ever came up in conversation as Lamar was getting ready to go down this road because it's remarkably similar in what we've seen for both of these guys trying to use the court of public opinion as a weapon for them. Yes, I, I I agree, Mike. I said it when you when your dad was on with us last week that I expect Lamar Jackson and Roquan Smith to be in communication and make smart moves like this, Mike. You talked about this letter being as effective as it was supposed to be. This is the type of moves that happen when you have an agent, right? Like this is uh, Kyler Murray's agent putting out a. a a statement uh, right at the, at the sweet, perfect time where the Steve Kime and the GM or everyone over there at the Cardinals had to respond to it. Yes, Jim Harbaugh had to respond to Lamar Jackson questions, but Jim Harbaugh has been knocking Lamar Jackson questions out of the park since the beginning of this because, because guess what? Jim Harbaugh wants Lamar Jackson to be quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. I, I, I do believe that. Like, I do believe that well, – Coaches are almost always the ones who are smart enough to know how life can be when you don't have a quarterback, right? When all of the right. things were going on in Green Bay in a couple of years ago with Aaron Rodgers and the organization, we all saw Matt LaFleur was one of the first people to come out and be like, no, we want this dude to play quarterback here because Matt LaFleur understands how much better of a coach he looks like when you've got Aaron Rodgers under center versus the alternative. And I think John right. Harbaugh is smart enough to also realize, hey, I know what we've got in this player and I see around this league all the time how the other half can live. And so, yeah, I firmly believe that he wants that, but this has got to be about the organization from the top down. And so I think this is exactly what Lamar wanted. He wanted to make sure everyone was talking about him. And I think the result on the other side of this, Brandon, once you get past just smart tact, the back and forth that goes on in negotiation, oftentimes very publicly, as we've seen it here, information clearly coming from the other side of this about what's been offered to Lamar Jackson or what those figures look like. This is a part of playing the game. And Lamar Jackson has said now very clearly with this, I'm ready to play ball. What we also got out of this, though, because of where it was presented, was some interesting information about what the market continues to look like for him. And we got some of the usual things, some no's from teams like the Washington Commanders. Uh, Martin Mayhew, their GM, came out and basically said they're going to rock with the guys on their roster. Um, you know, with Sam Howell, the guy that was their top picket quarterback last year. 
all these different things. Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett on that roster. The Green Bay Packers also saying Brian Kutenkunst, their GM, were, you know, without tampering, he said basically we're in it with Aaron Rodgers and we're not going to negotiate in bad faith with Lamar Jackson as something that I suggested, a bit of a ploy to get leverage over the Green Bay Packers. And so where that left us was some interesting, I think, new elements of this, which was Chris Ballard, the GM for the Indianapolis Colts, confirming that they would in fact kick the tires on Lamar Jackson, basically saying, yeah, we're in the market for good football players that can help our team at that position, one they've grossly mismanaged in recent years, and Lamar Jackson is a really good football player. And having that team in particular, with that owner and Jim Irsay, as ones potentially looking into this, in a way they absolutely should. Like, I know they're at the top of the draft. I know they've got a potential to go in and get a young quarterback But if you're the Indianapolis Colts, based especially on your recent history, you missed time to pretty big window, even in the world post-luck where we gave you some bail for an abnormal situation with the generational quarterback that you had had coming after the generational quarterback that you had let go before him. We knew that was weird. But after that, they had time, room, and cap space and just went after old, aging, veteran, free agents and tried to plug the holes on the dam while the rest of the roster seemed to atrophy around them. And so now I think they're in a position where an immediate difference maker that is proven at this level as opposed to a young quarterback, which is always a risk based on who you are as an organization and your ability to support them, it would be a smart move. And Jim Irsay seems like a reckless enough dude to potentially give Lamar Jackson the kind of things that he wants in a way that should make Baltimore very nervous. So that was an interesting new bit of information to me that I think should not go undersold. Yeah, I think they were not on the list of teams that were not interested. I I do want to mention when that first wave of teams came out, when you found out Lamar Jackson was available. So I do think there's some validity there, but also don't trust Chris uh, Ballard or Jim Ursay because of all the mistakes that they've made at the quarterback position with that roster. Um, Not to say things haven't panned out where they put money recently. And I think Lamar Jackson should have some pause going into that. For that reason, I do think that the Baltimore Ravens are the best potential landing spot for him. But obviously, you did, you said we, we found out. So go ahead. Well, I was going to say the best football landing spot versus what Lamar is also looking for, which is the best financial deal for himself, are very different things at this point. And yeah. so the Colts, yeah, they've got some more problems than you would like if you're Lamar Jackson. But... He's also someone that immediately comes in and is a one-man wrecking crew that raises the floor of especially your offense, but in a way that can certainly affect and help a defense that we know was still really good in some areas last year. Stopping the run, things like that up front because of the personnel they've got. So it's, a, in my mind, a realistic option, even if it's not perfect in the way that we've imagined at some of the other places that we fantasized about when this first came apart. Talking about the Miami Dolphins or really you know, throwing pie in the sky for the San Francisco 49ers and a team like that. Yeah, Mike, but a team that's always in the mix. Every time there's something weird going on at quarterback, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots seem to rear their their heads. And <laughs> at, for for obviously Bill O'Brien is seems like a be. I'm not sure if he's like, you know, fighting to get Lamar Jackson on the team. But like what we see from the Patriots and how they just have a, a very interesting backfield and use a lot of tight ends and you know love their blocking running backs it just seems like 
I can't see Lamar Jackson playing for the Patriots, but I can see how the Patriots could benefit from having Lamar Jackson at quarterback. Well, and the reason that's relevant is probably the funniest outcome from this is Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, at the NFL owners meetings saying that he got a text from Meek Mill who told him Lamar Jackson wants to be a Patriot. And Robert Kraft said that decision lies with Bill Belichick. Ultimately Bill Belichick, who's been very coy about the quarterback situation for the Patriots going into this fall with Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. Another interesting wild card potentially here. Bill Belichick is one of those guys that tends to talk glowingly about guys that he'd like. I think he in the past has spoken pretty highly of Lamar Jackson and what he thought he may net on the open market with his contract. And so, again, it's at least not another no immediately from what we saw in New England, Brandon. And that to me is important considering what you mentioned, the opening stanza that we saw when Lamar Jackson in this situation popped off for real it was five teams who immediately put out statements or you know, through different people in the media saying, we're not going to pursue Lamar Jackson. The fact that now, after this newest round of headline, we've got one basic yes in the Colts and another maybe in what we got in the answer from the Patriots and knowing there's been contact made there, albeit we have gone from St. Omni to Ken Francis, now to Meek Mill, is an incredible bit of NFL insider or NFL contract negotiators working this offseason that I love to see, but it's at least something that's not a no in a situation that's only going to gain more and more importance as we head towards the draft. Yeah, it's not a no, Mike, but I'm not taking Meek Mill's text messages with Robert Kraft as evidence to that. I, I refuse. Like Rappers want to be ballers and ballers want to be rappers. Uh, if you don't believe me, look at why Le'Veon Bell set out because I just really believe he was just living that rapper life and could not pass any of those tests that he had to to, to get that money, and that's why he set out in the first place. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't agree with uh, – the Meek Mills of the world trying to get into the Adam Schefter territory, but you know, hey man, you know, I, I wonder how people in Philadelphia feel about that. By the way, do you think that kind of feels like a right. I, get, I get they're not in the same division they and they're not yeah, even they in the same conference, and you got to feel yeah. pretty good about your situation for J- with Jalen Hurts deep down in a place people don't talk about at parties. Though I wonder if if you were just offered like the ability to sub one out for the other, if Eagles fans would take Lamar Jackson for Jalen Hurts straight up. No, I don't know, man. Part of me no. thinks they would. I feel like. I feel like Eagles. I feel like Philly's like oddly vain, and Jalen Hurts is just so handsome. He is very handsome. There's no denying that. You know There's I mean? something to be said, as we know it, being Notre Dame fans now for having you know really good looking people at the helm of important positions. Oh yeah, Ooh, shout out. Um, I do want to mention this one last team that could possibly be in the mix for the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes, but also. Probably can't be financially, but the Miami Dolphins. I think there is some value with Tua Tungavaloa, talking about moving him around, and obviously Lamar going back home to to, to Miami and Florida. I, I feel like Mike McDaniel would do some crazy things with Lamar Jackson that the entire NFL would be interested in. So much so that I think a lot of the other teams will get involved. Like maybe it's one of these things where like, a, you know, it's a four-way team trade or everyone's going to get involved to make the thing happen. But Tyreek Hill's over there. Dude, oh, listen, if we're drawing up dream scenarios, seeing him in some variation of that Shanahan tree offense would be electric, knowing how creative <laughs> these guys have been with the running game. I thought you were going to say seeing him in that teal. 
which would be dope too. Would be would be incredibly dope. If we were to grade this purely off of uniform heat with Lamar Jackson, Miami <laughs> would be very, very high on that list. There's no doubt. And so, again, all of this spinning of the wheels, this was the design for Lamar Jackson at a very calculated juncture. And so, among other things, I think it just sends the message that for all the conversation about what Lamar Jackson would have gained from having an agent, and I still think there would have been value there in navigating some of these scenarios, He's not walking into this completely outgunned or without an understanding of what he is working with here. And this is a clear indication. He knows that there's a game to be played in this negotiation. And he has now clearly entered the game in a very real way. I would say the most real way since we started having these conversations about Lamar Jackson. So very, very exciting news there. And I'm sure it won't be the end of that conversation around NFL owners meetings. Uh, Brandon, there were a couple of other news and notes uh, items from the NFL owners meetings. We mentioned Brian Gutenkunst, the GM for the Green Bay Packers, coming out and saying that they weren't going to negotiate in bad faith to create leverage with Lamar Jackson. But also did sprinkle a little nugget in there uh, from the Packers brass in response to the Aaron Rodgers comments on the Pat McAfee show from a while back that he wished the Packers that there had been more direct communication, that he likes direct communication after the season about his future. And the Packers brass basically came out and said, we tried to reach out to Aaron Rodgers for two months after the season. He didn't return any of our calls. And so eventually we had to start thinking about us and do a little bit there. And we know, again, going back to that situation, Aaron Rodgers got on the offensive, tried to flip leverage in a way that I admire from people on the players side but given what we've been through with Aaron Rodgers I do feel like there's a fair amount of people that would believe the Packers who are saying yeah we tried to call you and you just didn't answer yeah no one no one heard that was like no Aaron Rodgers really hit him (laughs) like Aaron Rodgers is already talking about the blacksmith in Green Bay I'm sure he has Brian Gutekind's number (laughs) saved in his phone (laughs) Like and also the darkness retreat. Like I mean, those it was four days, not not two months. I think, uh, yeah. Anyways, but Mike, one thing that also came interesting from that conversation and the whole Jets Packers Aaron Rodgers saga, the fact that the Jets and Robert Sala said, "Listen, we'll wait till training camp to get this deal done. We are waiting for the white whale, and when he gets here, y'all y'all watch and y'all notice." But the fact that they're just that they really just came out and said no rush no rush getting Aaron Rodgers here we will wait until August well and i think this is trying to sound tough in public because that okay. would absolutely be the worst situation for them and they smartly leaned back on and robert sala said if there's a great relationship with the coordinator there's really no urgency talking about Nathaniel Hackett, who Aaron Rodgers spoke glowingly about, worked with in his time in Green Bay, you do absolutely have that as an advantage. But, as we talked about with Dad before, and as I'm sure Jets fans, and even Rob Sala in an honest moment, yeah, Aaron Rodgers has not shown up for parts of the offseason program in in the past. But with a new team and so much newness around, I'm sure you'd like to get your quarterback in the building and start to get these things going a little bit before a season that you know is yeah. probably going to be one of the maybe two that you get with this quarterback max, depending on what we've seen or based on what we've seen in the past. And so they're coming out and saying all the right things. I just don't know if I necessarily believe them. I still think if this thing makes it past the draft, all of a sudden that leverage conversation we talked about swings pretty Ooh. decidedly in favor of Green Bay, 
who at that point were basically saying, yeah, we're going to wait till after that June 1st date because that does a lot for us financially, understanding that that also means we're probably pushing off the best version of ourselves another year because any of that draft capital we recoup won't be here in time for the 2023 draft. And based on where you're at with Jordan Love right now in a spot where you're in an information gathering season, if you get to this True. point where you want to get a look at your rookie first round draft pick and see if you pulled off the Brett Favre Aaron Rodgers thing again, yeah, you'd like to have some more weapons around him. You just lost Alan Lazard. We've talked about the young players on that roster that had to develop last year. And we can hear all the stories about Jordan Love going and working out with those guys already in California and all that good kumbaya stuff. But yeah. you're still in kind of wait and see mode if you're Green Bay. And so part of me thinks not necessarily the worst move to defer the majority of your draft capital to another year where you go out and you use free agency and the time post-draft to put together the best thing you can around uh, Jordan Love after you make a trade in theory. And then if it doesn't work out this year, now all of a sudden you might have enough draft capital to get involved in what's going to be an incredibly competitive quarterback class next year coming out in the draft. And maybe then you reset your timeline. So I still think that draft is a big mark in this conversation, and the Jets are at least trying to publicly posture that that doesn't bother them all that much, even if I think it should. Mike, if they don't take a quarterback with the 13th pick in this draft and lose Aaron Rodgers, I mean, you'll be, you'll be wishing that you were knocking on Lamar Jackson's door in good or bad faith. Yeah, that'll be the other part is if it does get to that long and you still end up getting it done, is there any sort of buyer's remorse there? I don't think so because, again, you've made your bed so clearly. The Nathaniel Hackett signing was a road flare going up that, hey, we're kind of in this for one guy. And so I think that still affects the ultimate outcome. But, yeah, the Jets trying to put on a brave face as we see the public jockeying for leverage in this situation also coming up and display in the NFL owners' meeting. The last one, Brandon, and maybe honestly the most important of these for the overall well-being of the NFL landscape, was some conversation about Daniel Snyder and his current status in the NFL. I believe it was Robert Kraft that got asked about uh, him and what his status was. And Robert Kraft's response about what the latest was with Daniel Snyder and the prospective sale of his team. We've been operating for a while now, ever since he and his wife Tanya came out and said that they were using Bank of America to explore possibilities around moving shares of their team, however they cleverly phrased it, to basically explain they're exploring the sale of a team. Robert Kraft was asked about if he had a stance on Daniel Snyder. He said he didn't have a stance on whether or not he needed to sell, but he said, quote, I believe something is close to happening. I don't know that for sure. We'll wait and see what happens. It's not Jim Ursay coming out and just fully going YOLO last year and basically saying, yeah, we need to get this dude up out the paint. But him saying, yeah, I think something's close to happening, combined with reports that also uh, from the Washington Post that Daniel Snyder declined to be interviewed for the Mary Jo White report, the second report being done on the impropriety inside his organization, all do seem to be public signs that maybe we're getting closer to this thing actually being done, which would be one of the bigger ding-dong, the witch is dead moments for the NFL in recent history. I mean, can we all agree that if those words are coming out of Robert Kraft's mouth, that the owners probably know who is already lined up to purchase the team next? Like, I feel like if, if you're saying something is in the works when something has technically been in the works for the last, what, 
three months. Like something is getting done. Well, right. And when you've got Jerry Jones coming out and saying, yeah, our bit, our relationship's not as lovey-dovey anymore. It's a lot more business-like. If you're on the outs with Jerry Jones, you're probably not in a great situation. And if you're not mm. going to go defend yourself to the woman that's writing a report that's supposedly going to actually be released this time and has a bunch of information that would likely lead to her recommending that you be removed by the rest of the league, it seems like you're kind of waving the white flag and just deciding you don't want your hands to appear any dirtier than they've already been. And so, yes, hopefully that would lead to that because you're right, and I've always said this, whether it's at the college level when it comes to conference commissioners or at the NFL level with owners. When the people in power start even whispering about the things out loud, and this was years ago in the college level, about the idea of playoff expansion or the idea of a playoff in general or all these changes we've seen in the sport, the minute one of them says it out loud, you know they've been thinking about it and actually talking about it for so much longer than they were ever going to let out in public. These are people with an understanding of the calculus of what their words do once they're out in the world and Robert Kraft is no different especially with his standing amongst the owners around the NFL so I don't think even that little admission is an accident in the grand scheme of things those lips sink ships it is uh and I think a ship that many people are hoping gets sunk very quickly uh in Washington fans players and everyone else alike based on what we saw from that report card not too long ago for the NFL free agents um Brandon we are going to whew, pull up for some oxygen coming out of these owners meetings take a quick break and when we come back we're going to visit with our good friend ESPN and ACC Network basketball analyst Jordan Cornette talk about the tournament next All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York. All right, some is great, more is better. We had to get even more Notre Dame on this show. Been a long time coming now. Uh, ESPN and ACC Network basketball analyst and former Notre Dame basketball star Jordan Cornette finally getting on the podcast here. Brother, how we doing? I feel like I've made Boom. it, my friend. I've finally <laughs> been on with you, bro. You know, you, you, you up and leave me here in Connecticut. We just start finding our groove. Me being a new employee, you have been, uh, having been here and crushed it at ESPN for so long. Then you pack up like the Colts in the middle of the night and you disappear, man. And uh, now you're living your best life, doing a great job with the show. So I'll take you anywhere I can get you, even if it's from afar, but on the show here for a segment or two, uh, talking the best time of the year in March, man. I'm a happy man. I know. I was going to say at some point I'm going to have to make the pilgrimage back to Connecticut and we're going to have to reconvene here because catching up via podcast, I think that's how guys keep in touch nowadays, but we got to do the thing in real life here very soon. (laughs) Very true, uh, man. 
you you mentioned it though. You're a busy man right now. March Madness is going on, and I also saw you're a very passionate man right now. As we've got the final four set on the men's side, I saw a lot of very passionate tweets coming from your Twitter account about the disrespect of ACC basketball this year. So tell me what inspired that. Where did that passion come from on this subject? As we've got Miami set to represent the conference. Well, you know, Gojo, it, it's really interesting, man. And and look, you can say it's biased, but people got to understand during college hoop season. And I am not an ACC network necessarily necessarily an employee. I cover all college basketball. The majority of the games I do, though, when I'm at a studio, I'm calling ACC basketball games. So I'm seeing a ton of the ACC. And when I'm watching the games, college basketball as a whole doesn't have the level of execution we would love it to be. There has been a tick back in basketball across the board in terms of the shot-making ability, the consistency, the headline talents, if you will, that comes in in ebbs and flows. I mean, that's just sporting life. That's how it works. But when I'm covering this conference, and maybe it didn't have this year, the Big 12 battles night in and night out. Credit to the Big 12. That was an incredible conference. It's not played in the Final Four this year. Uh, But look, between Kansas and Baylor, they've had remarkable success. So beyond the Big 12, I'm kind of looking at all these other conferences and saying, Why does Commissioner Jim Phillips have to stand up here and defend this thing? Why are these coaches like Coach Capel feeling like they need to come up here and defend a conference when I'm watching it and I'm seeing some really damn good basketball from certain spots? And again, the consistency is lacking everywhere. But I'm watching styles that translate in March. I'm watching high-level players. I'm watching teams improve as they gear up for the tournament. And I'm looking around in the Elite Eight. I'm going, where's the Big Ten? Why isn't the Big Ten having – why isn't Kevin Warren on his way out to go with the Chicago Bears having to address the same futility from 2000 to now when we've had in the ACC national champions? We've put in two horrible years supposedly in the ACC, three teams in the Final Four. Miami's still on a chance to play for a national championship this year. And if people want to say, well, that's Carolina and Duke. When we talk about SEC football, Gojo, who are we typically talking about? For the longest, it was Alabama, and now it's really only Alabama and Georgia. So to me, I I just don't really understand what's our metric in which we're looking at all this. Because last time I checked, it's about where you are at the end of the year and are your teams gradually getting better to get in a position where your style will translate in March. And for the ACC, quite simply, it has. I can say in this Miami team won the ACC in the regular season. It's not a surprise. They didn't come out of nowhere. So when you look at this squad in particular, with all the things that you mentioned, why college basketball at a whole maybe had a little bit of a lull this year, what's allowed this particular Miami team to go out here and demonstrate the things you talked about to get to this point? I'll tell you, Junior, they, they illustrate what the landscape in college basketball currently is and how you can succeed in this thing. The team that was on their heels – and trying to win an ACC uh, regular season championship was the Pitt Panthers. Pitt Panthers subscribed to the same model that Miami did, in a way, that being the transfer portal. Getting pieces that you can plug in that fit your style, but also having high-character guys that can come in and blend with your established pieces that are already there. And if you look at Pitt, you can go down the line. Old guys that Coach Capel got in there to put them in a place where they got better like this that could happen with any team that's the new world we live in but going back to miami nil mixed with the transfer portal and you got to give credit it's not like you know coach laranaga is wet behind the ears and a guy who's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed enjoying a college basketball thing this guy's been around for decades he's a hall of fame career and unlike some guys that may be in his position i won't name names because i'm not talking about anybody directly 
But a lot of guys that have coached for that long say, no, this is how it's going to be played. This is how I'm going to address it. I'm not evolving. Coach Laranagas said, okay, what are the rules? Let me understand what the rules are. I'm not going to go outside them. I'm going to dominate within them. And what does that mean? Let me go get Nigel Pack from Kansas State. Let me give him a nice NIL package within the rules. Let me make sure he fits with our style. And he's a high-character guy that can blend with our locker room to play along Isaiah Wong. Oh, Isaiah needs a little bit more. Let's go get him NIL to make him happy so he's here. So this backcourt not only works, but shines, and it has. And then Norchad O'Meara, you're an undersized group. You need somebody to fortify the down-low spot for this group as a post-pivot guy who can rebound and score with his back to the basket, bring some toughness. NIL, transfer portal, boom, he's in there, and he's a great young man. I had a chance to talk to him several times this year. So Miami is the model, Gojo, of what works in college basketball. Not only works, but excels. And this is no lightning in a bottle. Last year, this group went to the Elite Eight, was on the doorstep of a Final Four, and now they're back. Coach Laranega uh, may coach for another 20 years because uh, this guy has it figured out. He's a great teacher of the game. He still, despite his age, relates very well to his student-athletes. It's a beautiful story. It's been incredible to watch, and you mentioned it, embracing what's going on right now. And what's going on right now has gotten us into a unique set of circumstances where you've got three teams making their Final Four debut in the same year for the first time since 1970. Do you think overall, with what the transfer portal and NIL afford people, that what we've gotten this year in March Madness, more apparent parity than ever, one seeds and top seeds dropping left and right, is this going to be more of the norm going forward now at this time of the year in the tournament? Yeah, I would say I would say so, just because every place can be appealing now. Look, FAU, I, I think there's an interesting case study here with FAU. This is no flukish team. Like if you look at the metrics, they were a top twenty team all season long. Now they're just getting the opportunity against the big dogs and have a chance for every household to go, Oh, it's March, let me tune in. Oh, FAU's pretty good. Now, Dusty May doesn't look like he's going to get one of these job openings uh, this year, which means he's gonna most likely come back to FAU. The commitment by their boosters to say, wow, this ride was fun. I don't know about you, Gojo, but I'm pretty sure there's money down in Boca. I'm pretty sure that there's some money around there to be gathered up if the support is there, and it should be with the run they've been on. Uh, You look at a place like that, it's a great destination. The coach has a great thing going. They have an identity. They can get high-level guys. Why can't FAU be Gonzaga now? Why can't they channel what Gonzaga's done in the Pacific Northwest and be that because it's a destination spot and with all the aforementions – Maybe you see another school pop up and FAU be one of those mid-major powerhouses. Beyond that, there's always going to be opportunity of places. There's always going to be boosters, passionate boosters, eager to see their program rise up. Everybody has an equal opportunity there. I never understood. Love Charles Barkley to death. You were around him at my golf outing. You know he's my guy. But when he said that, and so many people echo the sentiment of the rich are only going to get richer, there's money everywhere. And there's passionate fans everywhere and boosters uh, and great coaches and great players now in different systems. So I do think you're going to see a lot more of this, but it doesn't X out the Blue Bloods. I mean, the Blue Bloods are still going to get great talent. This might have been a one-off in terms of Purdue losing to a 16 seed. Uh, Duke with a new coach in John Shire who did a remarkable job taking over for Coach K. And you can go down the list. Blue Bloods will have their seat at the table, but the fun part is a lot of other ones will too. And we're getting that taste of this right now in the Final Four. And while they don't necessarily qualify, UConn, as terms of success, has made themselves into a blue blood since 1999. They've been one of the names in basketball. Certainly we know on the women's side, but there was plenty of dominant stretches there on the men's side as well. As you sit here looking at the Final Four right now, is 
it clearly UConn's to lose. Is this closer, especially on the side with UConn and Miami? How do you handicap the final four that we've got as far as who's got the best chance to win this thing? I mean, it's only fitting that we're delivered two great final four games down in Houston. And I truly believe that because I think the two matchups are eerily similar teams in certain ways. There's definitely differences but I, let's go with FAU and San Diego State. And I was down there to watch San Diego State's run in the second weekend. I had FAU in the first weekend in Columbus to watch them narrowly escape Memphis in the first round, and here they are in the Final Four. Yeah. Both teams can play with pace. Both teams can play grinded-out games. San Diego State prefers the grinded-out game. FAU is comfortable running, but they can also operate against physical defense. Guards on both teams are very physical. They have depth on both sides. Uh, they're just strong, well-coached, fundamentally sound teams with athletes. So I think that's going to be a game, honestly, I think plays in the 60s. Uh, but FAU's thrown that they can win different styles of games in this tournament and all season long. I like San Diego State on that side. Then you look at UConn and Miami. I don't know why people would once again overlook Miami. Because maybe UConn's been dominant in this tournament? Yeah. Gojo, I get it. That is accurate. But Miami has shown that they can go up against anybody from any conference – and figure it out themselves. If Norchad O'Meara can stay out of foul trouble against this big UConn front line, uh, UConn's been defending great, but Miami's the king of the tough, 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 tough twos. Uh, great guards on both sides. Jordan Hawkins has been shooting the lights out. If Adama Sonogo and Donovan Klingon go off, I like UConn. But just defensively, what Coach Laranega has been able to do with this group, he did it with size against an Auburn team last year during their Elite Eight run. I think they have the antidote. I like Miami to play San Diego State for a national championship. It's incredible to think about uh, where we've gone with this tournament, the journey that would lead to those two teams at the end of it. It's been super exciting, and I know we all can't wait to watch. I'd be remiss if while we had you here, though, we didn't talk about a team that's not in the tournament this year but has to feel pretty good going forward. You're a proud Notre Dame men's basketball alum. You're one of the great players and guys that I remember here, and you were one of the first people I looked to when Notre Dame announced the hiring of Mike Shrewsbury as their new head coach. What does this hire signal to you about the direction of Notre Dame men's basketball right now? I mean, you can tell I'm juiced, man. The text I sent you, I think before it actually fully delivered to my phone, I had a response to you calling it a home run hire when you asked me. Uh, you were like, this seems great, right? I was like, yes, Mike, it is great uh, because it is. Me and you both have an admiration for Coach Mike Bray. I, I know you've had a chance to get to know him too. Great dude, did great things. It made sense for him. It made sense for the university. The time was just right for them to go their separate ways. Amicably, we can celebrate the 23 years, and you can still appreciate what the future holds. And with Micah Shrewsbury, it holds great things. Talk to Robbie Hummel, who's a guy we both greatly respect. Uh, had a chance with the Purdue connection there to play underneath him, and he said, this guy's a savant, an absolute savant in how he approaches the game. And, and it's true. Uh, he's offensively, he, he runs great action. If you watch Penn State, he assembled an incredible roster there. Defensively, you know, there's the background there. He's a disciple of Brad Stevens. You know, he has the stop with Matt Painter, the Celtics. Uh, this was a guy that coached in South Bend for a couple of years at IU uh, South Bend. So he even knows the area. Uh, but anybody who talks about him talks about his charisma, his warmth, his ability to coach, his in-game adjustments, the understanding of X and O's, uh, and the coaching tree, the guys he's learned from. He's also at the sweet age, I think, 46 years old. Uh, he's had the experience, but he's also eager to dive into this NIL world and the transfer portal and be strategic with it. Uh, I think Notre Dame's got some, some great days ahead. A foundation has been set. 
um, from Coach Bray with the years of success where there's respect with the program. Coach Shrewsbury is ready to take that to an entirely different level. It's exciting stuff to consider, man. You and I both love and see. Obviously, you've been a part of success there. We've seen, like you said, what Coach Bray built, but something new in the water around there for the first time in a long time is definitely got an exciting feeling. I'm jacked up for it. You've got me even more excited now. Uh, so kudos there. Uh, brother, man, I know you are one of the busiest men in the world right now during March Madness. We can't thank you enough for giving us some time. Uh, best of luck getting through the rest of this stretch run here as a, a dad with two kids under two years old right now as well I, I know you got your hands plenty full dude I, I appreciate it you know how much I love you and your family bro but our friendship means the world to me I'm just happy to see you crushing it man I'm honored to be on the show and guess what man my 40th birthday is this Friday uh, so if you shoot me a text I will probably be uh, overserved uh, because I definitely need that at the end of this uh, final four run and uh, what life is crazy with two, two kids under two. But I'm blessed, man. It's a great time of the year. We're honored to have these gigs. We're very lucky to have them, too, uh, covering sports, man. So it's great to catch up with you, Mike. Uh, there we go. We'll drop the Venmo in the bio with this podcast when it posts, and everyone can buy Jordan that was such a drink. A thirst, like it seemed like I was going around. Please send me some money. We're broke. Birthday, We're tired. Birthday week. Let's go. Oh, <laughs> uh, brother, man, I appreciate Love it. Love you, buddy. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Brandon, speaking of the tournament, it's time for a quick update on our Some Shining Moments bracket as we're getting down to the end of this one as well. As always, for anyone whose first podcast it is, we took the 32 top moments from the last year, we seeded them in a 32-team bracket, and we had them go head-to-head -to, -head to try and crown the one shining moment from the last year, and that is in sports, pop culture, music, movies, TV, all of those different things, all seated in here. Brandon, we were down to the matchups in the Elite Eight. We have now set our final four after the fan voting from yesterday. And I got to say, not a lot of surprises here the way it worked out. We had in the sports region, the North region, the three-seed Kelsey Brothers magical season lose ultimately to the World Cup final. Four seed that Jessica Smetana, Jessica Smetana pointed out very early, probably underseeded, deserves to yes. be where it is now in the final four. 
But also could have been seated anywhere as them big of a moment, you know? Absolutely. Shout out to the Kelsey brothers. An impressive run. Uh, no doubt another accolade they can add to their 2023, uh, 2022-2023. <laughs> uh, in the music reason, the three seed, Rihanna Super Bowl halftime show pregnancy announcement upends the Oliver Shane Hawkins tribute to his late father, Taylor Hawkins. A heartstrings moment there, both incredibly deserving. That one was going to be a tough one anyway it shook out, but Rihanna finding her way to the Final Four, also something I can't be stunned at. Love it. I, I Obviously, very emotional on both sides, but the people chose birth in, in life, and I, I, yep. I, I, I love it. The World Cup Final one was 63% of the vote. Rihanna won with 57% of the vote. So pretty close one there. On the other side, in the uh, movies and uh, television region, the slap at the Oscars beat Top Gun Maverick uh, with 61.7% of the vote. Yes. The slap moves on. It was the one overall seed in this tournament and really the inspiration for this. Not overly surprised, Brandon. I know you were rooting against Top Gun Maverick, you monster. Well, I just didn't want to see it right now. And if they beat the slap, I'd have to see it tonight. Um, the closest vote by far came in the matchup of the one seed in the other region between Elon buying Twitter and the four seed, the loss of Queen Elizabeth. And Jessica Smetana, maybe the ultimate analyst of this bracket, called the two four seeds making the run. The loss of Queen Elizabeth ends up going on to the next round is the bigger moment with 50.1% of the vote with over wow. 1,400 votes. And so we've got the final four matchup set. Rihanna's going to go up against the World Cup final, the slap against Queen Elizabeth. We're going to have that come out with the Ooh. show and the podcast as posted today at Gojo Show on Twitter. You'll vote to set the championship. We'll take a day on Wilder Wednesday. We'll break down the championship matchup with her. And then that voting will be Friday or Thursday, excuse me, so that we can crown a champion for Friday ultimately. So big, exciting week, Brandon, as we try and count uh, crown a champion in our first inaugural some signing moments bracket. I'm proud of everyone. Thank you all for voting. Uh, at the end of the day, the the biggest moments, that's what we ended up with, unlike the actual Final Four. Not, not that, well, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> we had shots fired left and right. But, yes, thank you to everyone who took the time to vote with us. We appreciate all your help. At Gojo Show on all social media, as always, is where you can find and do just that. Brandon, in the meantime, uh, got to ask the question on everybody's mind. Not where will Lamar Jackson play, but do you know what time it is? I do, Mike, and I don't like repeating songs in this podcast. I had to recently with uh, Jess and Charlotte with uh, Don't Take the Girl, even though it was a bastardized version of that. But today, I can't shake the sad. So, yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me Oh, yesterday came suddenly Why'd he had to go? I don't know, Lamar should stay I said something wrong Now I long for yesterday 
yesterday Love was such an easy game to play Now this that and the third today Oh, I believe in yesterday uh, Take a deep breath, buddy. It's going to be okay. You're going to find a way. You're going to get through this. Whew. Like they always say, Brandon, it's better to have loved and have lost than never to have loved at all. And that applies to quarterbacks in the NFL, too. You got to have fun for a while. But now Justin Fields exists, and I can just, I just, not that it's better, but it could be. My God. If you think Brandon's rendition was even better this time around, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating, and tell him what a phenomenal job he's done, as always. Uh, Brandon, let's get to this, that, and the third. Three quick stories on the way out uh, as we send you off onto your day. And let's start off with this. The women's Final Four set in college Ooh. basketball. And I don't think a ton of surprises necessarily. On one side, you've got the one seed Virginia Tech coming out of the ACC. They've been a great story and an awesome team this year. Going up against Kim Mulkey's LSU Tigers, the three seed uh, coming out of the Greenville re uh, uh, Elite Eight region there. And no one's surprised there. Kim Mulkey, someone who's done this at multiple stops along the way now. Yeah. It's the matchup on the other side of the Final Four, though, Brandon, that should have everybody jacked up around college basketball number one seeded south carolina versus the two seed the caitlin clark led iowa hawkeyes that game is going to be an all-out battle and we know south carolina Aaliyah boston what dawn staley has put together making this the preeminent program in college basketball right now the georgia football like taking of power from uconn if they're you know assuming the alabama role in this situation true but, man, to have that matchup being going against Kalen Clark, who a lot of people thought Iowa should have been a one seed, didn't understand why they ended up on the two line, fresh off of the first 40-point triple-double in NCAA tournament history mm. on either the men's or the women's side. And ho-hum, she did it in the Elite Eight to top fifth, uh, fifth seed Louisville in that matchup. Unbelievable, true baller performance there. Can't wait to watch those two Titans slug it out of the court. Yeah, Mike, that's going to be amazing. Uh, you know, Sue Bird came to the shoot-around for Iowa Hawkeyes. I feel like she so sick. Uh, added a little juice to that. Um, but I, Aaliyah Boston versus Caitlin Clark is very interesting because I just feel like Caitlin is just very in-your-face about how she does everything. And even and, and Aaliyah Boston's like very humble coming back. And, and even Don Staley, I feel like, threw a little bit of shade saying like uh, if we fed Aaliyah X amount, like she could get those type of numbers, but we move the ball around and then she turns around and has a 20-point double-double uh, um to yeah. get them so to get them to the final four over Maryland. But yeah, I'm I'm interested in the game because I don't believe that Caitlin Clark and Iowa are could beat South South Carolina, but ooh, if there's ever a game where one person can take over and, and make it a game. Yeah, and you're right. Style of play does have something to do with that. And the fact that Caitlin Clark is someone that we've seen pull up for logo threes, drop those kind of gaudy stats in big moments, it absolutely has something to do with why she's been so positively received. There's no doubt about that. So I can understand Dawn Staley's criticism of that because she's got someone who's been a multi-time player of the year in their conference and an elite player for so long in Aaliyah Boston. So I get all that. It was a cool moment, too, with Sue Bird that you talked about. 
and you know they were coming from the Seattle region and so you'd already had Caitlin Clark talking about how cool it was to play in the building that Sue Bird played in and to play in front of a mm. crowd in Seattle that has understood and supported women's basketball for so long the way that city's done being the great sports town that it is and I, honestly that's just the reaction that Sue Bird draws out of everybody like I remember the first time we talked to her on the morning show at ESPN and we were technically co-workers like I put that in air quotes but <laughs> clearly her better has been better than my better for a long time and just Man. After that, the minute we got off with her, I just looked at my dad. I was like, that's Sue freaking Bird we just had on here. This is dope. So she elicited that response from everybody, and it was cool to see two all-time great college basketball players in the same airspace. I love the uh, Richard Dice tweet about yes. this Possibly, please don't 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 let me butcher it. Deliver to the people with some with some respect. But. <laughs> so, Richard, the most watched women's college basketball Final Four game over the last decade was UConn versus Notre Dame in 2013. That was Brianna Stewart's freshman year and Skylar Diggins' senior year. That game had topped out at three million viewers, and a lot of people assume that this one will be the one to potentially take that down. Would definitely agree. I mean, you talked about the star power in that game, the coaching star power in that game, which we know is also. So a big part of college basketball is those figureheads in those positions. And so, yeah, absolutely think that this one, just with the momentum we've seen in the last couple of years, the women's tournament's done monster numbers and ratings over the last couple of seasons. We've seen how much the star power has really shown itself on that side. And you've also finally got them getting some support from the NCAA and the television powers that be that just wasn't there before for a product that's always been better than the coverage it got was. And so Mm -hmm. it's exciting times for women's college basketball for women's hoops in general and I'm glad they're getting their time to shine here because it's been well deserved and is finally catching up in the way that it's covered so uh, that is something that we can look forward to Brandon Hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda You never have to miss a trip ever again So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price Go to your happy price Priceline But let's get to uh, that and a story that is a lot more bizarre and sad on this end of things. Starting the other day, according to TMZ, DJ Hernandez was arrested last week after he allegedly threw a brick at ESPN's headquarters with a note attached to it. TMZ Sports had learned. Now, Aaron Hernandez, obviously we know, uh, the now deceased former member of the Florida Gators, the uh, New England Patriots in the NFL and all of the various crimes that he was associated with before his, uh, you know, ultimately untimely demise. His brother DJ was a great college player at the University of Connecticut when I was growing up. Really well-known name around those parts and the older of the Hernandez brothers, the one that people knew in that area because he stayed home. Police say apparently ESPN security told them an Uber had arrived at one of their gates, but when it was turned away, a passenger got out of the car, threw something onto the grounds, and then got back into the vehicle and left. It was a note attached to a brick that said to all media outlets, it's about time you all realize the effect media has on all family members. Since you're a worldwide leader, maybe you could lead how media and messages are delivered brick by brick. Clean it up. Yours truly, Dennis J. Hernandez. 
Um, cops spoke with security guards who said it was 90% of DJ was the guy who threw that. Eventually, the cops ultimately made contact with DJ who admitted to being at ESPN but didn't speak about the instance. He was arrested for misdemeanor breach of uh, peace but was released on a promise to appear in court next month. Brandon, there's not really much of a takeaway from this other than it is a sad reminder of what tragedy leaves behind in its wake. And while I, I can't, you know, as someone who was there when this was being covered, was inside the building at ESPN, I don't remember anything to me that would have stood out as something that could have been the lone impetus for this kind of response. It is a reminder. Especially this many years later. Yeah, but it is a reminder that, you know, while everyone else may have moved on, the 24-hour news cycle went away from that and we were done making documentaries, that was his brother. This is his family. This is his life. And I'm sure something he still hears about fairly often. And I'm sure someone who spent extra time going over everything that was said publicly about that case. And it is a reminder that while, again, I'm not accusing anybody who covered the story of anything, that we do always need to remember these are real people whose lives are being upended not just the person who is gone in Aaron Hernandez the victims that were involved in this case and then the family that's left behind on both sides and that the way we talk about these things I always said I took a lot more time and cared a lot more to get the details of these kind of things right in a way that did justice by those people because it's far more important than any box score we're going to talk about or any upset in March Madness these are real things that do have an effect on people's lives and clearly for DJ Hernandez that's still very much the case so just a sad reminder of what lies in the wake of tragedy on both sides of this absolutely Mike and obviously with the way internet and information is set up now with social media I'm sure there's a lot of deep, dark rabbit holes that he could go down that makes it feel like it's all of one negative narrative uh, for his brother and his family. So um, I just hope that they can find some healing soon. Yeah, uh, and and, DJ, I believe, also wrote a book uh, on his brother a while back. He's 36 years old, so he's still a young person in the prime of his life. I know people don't often think of their mid-30s like that, but uh, let's hope he's able to. We do. Yeah. We definitely do. So uh, let's hope he finds some help in that situation. Um, Brandon, let's get to the third. Now, I have not had a chance to see the newest John Wick movie yet. I believe it just came out this last weekend, if I'm not mistaken. But I saw the stat going around. I saw this from the Morning Brew, which is an awesome newsletter, by the way, if you're not uh, someone that's already subscribed to that. That said, Keanu Reeves just said 380 words in John Wick Chapter 4 and reportedly made $15 million, trusting reports of his pay, that is $39,473 in word. My question is, why are we measuring the pay by the words in a John Wick film? Like, who's gone to that film for the overwhelming or compelling dialogue? Well, I I feel like it's just uh, us bending over backwards to pat Keanu Reeves on the back. But I feel like, like we don't need to work that hard you to pat bring- Keanu Reeves on the back. Everyone seems to love Keanu Reeves. He seems to be, by all accounts, one of the Hollywood figures that most people rock with. Right, but if you remember when we got into when we got into college, Chuck Norris had all those uh, random facts about him that were all fictional as well. That were like jokes. I think Keanu Reeves is in that territory where like you need to do the research like this to articulate just how much he's 
important to the culture how how far he's come from bill and ted's crazy adventure or whatever the hell the name that the movie hell, how far he's come from john wick one chapter one well Obviously, I mean, it wasn't called that he was already a made man right like i think the money he made from the matrix alone could have sustained him for the rest of his natural life the fact that he gave us a gift like the john wick franchise which must like the fast and the furious movies I would see in perpetuity as long as they kept making them. They don't ever need to stop. I'll keep showing so, up. John Wick has been the most consistent force in my life. If you want to measure dollars per whatever in this movie, do it by measure of bullet casings or bodies dropped or any number of things that have come up that are a much more normal part of the John Wick experience than words. Well, I saw I, I saw a uh, snippet snippet. It was like a behind the scenes of this movie. And it seems like John Wick's got a lot more people on his team shooting at the same people. Where what I thought my favorite part about John Wick is he was just one man shooting at so many people. You know what I mean? Like he it seems like he's got a little uh a team with him following him around. But anyways, here's here's what I love most about this dialogue conversation. The director said that Keanu Reeves cut roughly half of the dialogue from his character from the initial script and he which led out to be 103 lines of dialogue 27,000 or excuse me 27,000 20 27% of them were one single word hey that's a man that understands editing is writing Ooh, we yes, and we can I use, like that. We don't need a ton of. I know this is the the irony of this coming from me, who a lot of people would joke acts like I'm paid by the word. You don't always need a lot of words to say something effectively, and John Wick has figured that out a lot better than I have. I mean, listen, we all strive to to be more concise with our words. Even I'm sure people are surprised to hear that I feel that way as well, Mike. But my favorite instance of an actor cutting their lines short was Ryan Gosling in, in Drive. Do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah. So he was... I didn't want to speak anymore, period, after seeing that movie because he made it look so cool, just like not saying anything. He said 891 words in that film, which is heavily dri driven by narrative which is pretty impressive but he cut out 70 percent of of that uh of his script and not in like rehearsals he did it on set and the director was like oh, okay i guess we're just doing this now so he ended up only speaking 116 uh, lines which i thought was uh impressive but obviously counter reeves and john wick takes the cake I love the idea of Ryan Gosling just staring at the director uncomfortably long enough to get them to just move on and accept the fact that he is done speaking for that scene. That is yeah, it's, both it's power done. and terrifying at the same time. Uh, either way, can't yeah. wait to see John Wick. Uh, again, it has been the most stable and con con consistent relationship in my life since its inception as a franchise, and I will cherish it forever. Uh, we appreciate the relationship we have with you, whoever's listening right now, and we hope you'll stick with us forever. If you feel the same way, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating, and go and subscribe to the DraftKings YouTube channel. Check us out under the Gojo with Michael Cole Jr. tab on there. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank.